0: Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 four, three, four, five, Hello, everyone. Thank you for downloading Backlit Cinema, the podcast. This is your host, Zoe, that'd be Z-O or Z-O if you're living outside the U.S. So, I just want to take some time to thank each and every one of you for listening to this show. I hope you're having a good time while you're on your commute or you're cleaning out your garage or whatever you may be doing. I hope that I can bring some measure of pleasure and information to your lives. So this is the 54th episode and I just want to let you know that the the reason we started this show was to strengthen the bond between my son Zach and me. We watch movies that I love when I was growing up, and we get my son's thoughts on these movies from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And while he's not actually part of this particular podcast, we still get his thoughts on a show. And we did watch a movie yesterday, and we will get into that quick, fast, and in a hurry. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, that if you like this show, to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser, or your favorite podcast app. And finally, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find the details in the show notes, and I'll mention them later on in the show. So, let me uh talk about the latest activities, the things that I've been up to, what I've been watching or reading or What have you. So I'm still knee deep in the book of Boba Boba Fett. And uh, this tells, uh, it's, it's still telling a great story. It seems that the series is telling like two stories. The first is his takeover of the criminal enterprise that was once run by Jabba the Hutt. And it seems that there will be a confrontation between Fett and Jabba's family. And the second story is how he survived on Tatooine following his escape from the Sarlacc. So it's kind of continuing what had happened or the events of the first episode. There are some allegories regarding Westerner, uh, a Westerner being rescued by the indigenous peoples and earning the respect of the people and being accepted into the culture of that people. And there are very strong Native American visuals used to emphasize that point. Now, I don't know how this how others will feel about this, but I thought that was uh, handled with care and respect. And then I finished the mid-season finale of Star Trek Discovery. And uh, the last two episodes are really starting to come around to the kind of writing I kind of fell in love with when I first started watching Star Trek some 30 years ago. Specifically, they're really starting to nail the cold opening scene that had been lacking in this series, and I'm looking forward to see what comes next when the series continues in February. Now, speaking of upcoming events, earlier today, I was well, not today, earlier yesterday, <laughs> I was guest host on Audio Oddity, that podcast that features a father and son team of Rocky and M. His daughter M wasn't available, so I did my level best to fill the gap. Me and Rocky talked about all the shows and movies and video games that we look forward to in the coming year. It was a great conversation of the things that we were most excited about and hope to see in 2022. You'll want to hear that what we think is going to inspire the imagination. Head over to Audio Oddity Podcast wherever you listen to pods. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's movie. Now, me and Zach We had to watch it separately because he came down with a certain respiratory infection. So he had to self-isolate in his room, but he's fine. So we were separate and at the same time watching the movie together. So the movie that we watched yesterday was The Silence of the Lambs. So this is an iconic movie back in the 90s and it continues to fuel memes to this day. The Silence of the Lambs is about the FBI trainee, Clarice Starling, is sent by her superior, agent-in-charge Jack Crawford, to interview imprisoned serial killer Dr. Hannibal Lecter in order to gain insight on a series of murders that has stumped the FBI. This new serial killer is smart, cunning, and depraved. The authorities have nicknamed him Buffalo Bill because he partially skins his victims before dumping them in the woods. This movie was released February 14, 1991 by Strongheart slash Dean Production and Orion Pictures. It grossed over $130 million in the U.S. and Canada on a $19 million budget to rave reviews. This movie stars Jodie Foster as... Clarice Starling. We remember Jodie Foster. She's been in a lot of our favorite movies, including Contact, The Brave One, and Nell. Also, Anthony Hopkins as Dr. Hannibal Lecter. This is a star turn for Anthony Hopkins. This is the movie that really put Anthony Hopkins on the map in American cinema. We've seen him in The Mask of Zorro, Nixon, and Thor Ragnarok. We also have Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford. We've uh, talked about Scott Glenn in Backdraft and in The Hunt for the Red October. We also see him in Sucker Punch. Also is Anthony Heald. He played Dr. Frank uh, Frederick Chilton, and he's been in Deep Rising, X-Men The Last Stand, and Accepted. Continuing, we have Brooke Smith as Catherine Martin. She was in Bad Company, and she spent a lot of time in television and shows such as Grey's, Grey's Anatomy and Bosch. And finally, we have Ted Levine. He plays James Gum, And he's we see him in Shutter Island, Wawa, Wild Wild West, and Heat, which are great movies. Well, okay, one, two of these were great movies, but he spent a lot of time on television. So you may also remember him on Psych and some other great television shows. So, and oh, and I just wanted to point out that how he appears now and how we remember him and The Silence of the Lamb are totally different. It's, it's hard to believe that uh, the actor has played all these different roles. And I think what gives it away is his voice. He does have a very unique voice that really gives him away. So, this movie was directed by Jonathan Dean. And he's, you, you probably remember his name because he's developed such great movies as Philadelphia Adaptation and The Manchurian Candidate. The movie was written, written by, well, uh, it was the screenplay was by Ted Talley. And he has written movies like All the Pretty Horses and Red Dragon. And it's based on a book by Thomas Harris, who is responsible for everything that we know about Hannibal Lecter. The music was by Howard Shore. He's written The Lord of the Rings Trilogy, Seven, Mrs. Doubtfire, and many other movies. So that's all for the rundown. And if you're enjoying this show, remember that you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlinkcinema.com, where you can click on the link to either teespring.com or teepublic.com. Now we're going to take a very short News break. So now we're going to just get into some stuff I heard uh, on the interwebs uh, in a, in the past week. Uh, a lot of this stuff I think I've just found out like yesterday. So comicbook.com reported on the Movie Dweeb article that, okay. This is the name. This is the name. These are the names that I've been telling you about that at first we will have problems pronouncing, but as this actor uh, gets his uh, more fame and notoriety, then we will all be able to pronounce this name. But for right now, it's going to be a little difficult. So I'm going to do my level best. The actor who that I'm going to try to say, I'm going to try to say his name right now. Chukwudi Iwuji. I did my best. I did my best. I apologize if it's all wrong. So anyway, Chukwudi, Chukwudi Iwuji will be joining the cast of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in a yet undisclosed role. There has been speculation that he'll be playing the High Evolutionary or the Silver Surfer or Beta Ray Bill, but these are all unverified rumors. Now you probably know about the Silver Surfer, and you might have some inkling of Beta Ray Bill, but you're probably wondering who is the High Evolutionary? I remember reading about this character uh, when I was growing up. So the High Evolutionary is a near godlike being. He was born human, but through science and experimentation, he has elevated himself to a near godlike status. And as his name implies, his big thing is acceleration, the evolution of life, Uh, mostly human life or mammal life, or he he gets into some real island of Dr. Monroe scenarios. So um, I don't know why the rumor around him being playing the high evolutionary or why the high evolutionary is considered to be a character in this story these should be taken as a a huge a huge handful of salt the only thing that is real is that this actor will be in this movie and i don't know much about iwuji other than that, the director James Gunn has recently worked with him on his Peacemaker series and regards him as one of the best actors he has ever worked with. So, I expect great things from this young man. Up next, the LA Times reports that Ben Affleck said that working on the Justice League was a bad experience due to his divorce, being away too much, the death of Zack Snyder's daughter, the reshoots. He said, Quote, it was just the worst experience. It was awful. It was everything that I didn't like about this. That became the moment when I said, I'm not doing this anymore. End quote. So he had a really tough time doing various uh various reasons why uh, you know, he personally, for his own experience, he really had a hard time with that production. It was one of the reasons why he dropped out of starring and directing in the Batman movie. So, moving on. On the Elon Manning show, as reported by comicbook.com, Bill Murray revealed that he would be playing a villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, though he is not more specific than that. But it so we've known for a little while that Bill Murray is going to be in this movie, and now we know more specifically that he will be playing a villainous aspect uh, or a type of villain in the movie, but still you don't know much more other than that. So there's going to be an interesting thing to see how he turns out. The most villainous that I've seen Bill Murray is when he played the Scrooge character in the movie Scrooge, where he had an arc where he started off villainous and he, uh, he was taught a lesson and became, uh, Affiable, I guess. Finally, we reflect on the acting leader, Sidney Poitier. He was the first Black actor to win an Academy Award for his role in Lilies in the Field. He was a, le- he was a legitimate box office draw and an active civil rights activist. The great man that is Sidney Poitier died on January 6, 2022. He was 94 years old. I have to admit that I had not seen an entirety of a Sidney Poitier movie, but I remember my relatives really gushing over this, over this man. So I think that I should take some time out and watch some of his movies to see the things that inspired other people to follow him. So that is it for the news And if there's anything that I missed, I guess you can send me email, let me know about more of the things that you want to hear about in the stuff I heard segment. So we're back from the news. And once again, thanks for joining us. And remember, you can keep up with us by following our social media on Instagram and Facebook at backlick cinema podcast and on Twitter at Backlick cinema we encourage you to leave feedback comments suggestions etc or you can email us at fan at BacklickCinema.com. so now we get to talk about our favorite parts or my favorite parts so the difficulty in this is is that like the last time for last week I was able I took notes I took the time out to take notes to remember those things that I really loved about the movie. But this time, I did not. So I'm going purely off of memory. Um, I just... It's one of those movies that that's really slow. So it's one of those things that it's not really any particular event that I like, but just like the overarching story of The Silence of the Lamb. And one of the things about this is that like my favorite parts is like everybody's favorite parts, because this movie has been mean to death, you know, Hannah Lecter wearing the, the, uh, it's not a face mask. It's, it's a muzzle. So Hannah Lecter wearing the muzzle and being wheeled around. It's been memed at the Oscars. They, they did skits about it at the, the Oscars. And you see memes or skits on uh various comedy shows. I think they've done it on the symptoms. They probably did it on something like South park and that was one of the things Zachary had remembered. He remembered that all the memes and skits that were made about this movie, not ever having to see the movie. That was one of the neat things about this, is that now he gets to see the movie that everybody is uh, talking about or everybody is making skits about. So the I did notice some things from the movie that I didn't notice the first time when I, I think that this is like the second time I watched it. And I may have seen like some scenes of it on network television where it's heavily edited. So this is only my second viewing of the theatrical cut. And like one of the things I noticed is that they had shown scenes of the victims where they they have been skinned. I I think that when I was in a movie theater, I didn't realize that these people had been skinned, that their skin were, was removed. And now that I'm watching it on H B television, uh, uh, high definition television, I, I can see everything. And I was like, oh, I missed that when I watched that in the movies. There was a scene near the beginning of the movie where Clarice, the uh, FBI trainee, went to visit Hannibal Lecter for the first time, Dr. Lecter, in his class cell, his glass prison cell. Everybody else had bars, but Hannibal was a special case. He, he got to have a glass prison. And they do their back and forth with Clarice basically trying to get Hannibal, Hannibal to, ho- to open up and get him to help the FBI to try to solve this case of another serial killer. And he Hannibal Lecter's cell is at the end of a row of cells and she has to walk by various inmates and who are all criminally insane to get to him at the end of of the hallway and they do their back and forth. And then she starts walking back and then one of the inmates who is particularly intrigued by her presence, uh, he is pleasuring himself with his back to her as she passes his cell. And then, you know, he, he throws the resulting semen at her face. <laughs> uh, I remember when I saw this in theaters, I couldn't quite see what had happened, but on a uh, HD television, you can kind of see everything. And it makes it extra gross. It's like double the grossness. It's like high, defi- high definition grossness. And She is rightfully disturbed by all of this. (laughs) So, um and it's weird because after this happened, Hannibal calls her back to his cell. He's like, Come, Clarice, come come here, come here. I got something to tell you. And she goes back to him. And he actually shares some information that that's helpful to the case. And then she basically runs out of the of that area, so all of the conversations between the trainee Clarice and Doctor Lecter, those are my my favorite scenes. Uh, the scenes where they're facing each other and they're uh, equally chewing up the scenery. I like how Jodie Foster is able to go from being strong or confident to being extremely vulnerable and afraid, and what seems like a heartbeat. You can see her going through the motions of, and her her emotions as Dr. Lecter is speaking to her. And Hannibal Lecter is seemingly emotionless. He doesn't really change. He is like the same. He's, he's almost a robot. And that would speak to his being um, not just sociopathic, but like really antisocial, like really not knowing how to deal with other human beings or not dealing with other people in a normal fashion. And those performances, it re- those are the things that really draw you into the movie. The other thing I like about this movie is Anthony Hopkins' performance. As Hannibal Lecter, he is so unbothered by everyone around him you can't yell at him you can't scream at him you can't get a rise out of him you can't because not only does he not really care about what others around him think but at the same time it's like he's got everything kind of figured out it was like it's been described that he already knows everything he he's knows this story and he knows how the story is going to end so he's not bothered by what other people do around him when the, when the when the authorities are trying to get his goat like they might a common criminal he, he's he's unbothered and it's almost like he's tired of it right so he he's able to maneuver and negotiate Around these areas of obstacles with relative ease, so he's he's basically a criminal version and a criminally insane version of Cool Hand Luke. I am guessing. I, I I never actually seen Cool Hand Luke, but I am assuming that because they call him Cool Hand Luke, that he has a level head. In the same way, um, Trainee Agent Sterling is also navigating in a male dominated world in a somewhat unbothered way. You got people looking at her, you got people constantly hitting on her, and she's still able to go through that without being like bugged out or getting or getting overly emotional about these weird clumsy advances uh that are made by other men or, or men trying to in some way put her in her place you know because she's a woman in a, a male dominated field she's smarter than many of her colleagues she is more capable than people want to give her credit for so i think the movie shows this the movie shows this in a very subtle way so like as you pay attention to it you really you really start to notice that the only time she was really bothered was when the dude threw cum on her face, but you know, who wouldn't be bothered by something like that? I actually think that the only men in the movie that respect her are Jack Crawford, her boss and Hannibal Lecter, uh, Jack Crawford respects her because he chooses her because he recognized her potential as a good agent to go and try to get information from Dr. Hannibal Lecter, even though he doesn't really think that she's going, that he's going to open up to her because he doesn't open up to anybody, but he is calculating that because Lecter has not seen a woman in a long time. Maybe that visual will have a way of disarming him and Speaking of Hannibal Lecter, he is constantly dropping clues and little knickknacks, not because he's trying to fool Sterling, but he actually believes that she's going to figure out the puzzles that he's leaving for her, and she does. She figures out, she figures out his word games and his misdirection and his red herrings. She's smart enough to understand the language, so to speak, of uh well his his language or his it's almost like a private language to her. She's able to decipher it. She's able to pick up what he's laying down. And she he basically gives her the clues that she needs to solve the story of who is Buffalo Bill? Where is he at? When when can he get an arrest? So the most violent and the most impactful scene of the movie is that point where Hannibal is like moved from Baltimore to uh, a different facility I can't remember because you know some stuff happens uh, Starling is trying to offer a deal because a very important person has been kidnapped or the daughter of an important senator has been kidnapped by Buffalo Bill so she pretends to offer him a deal. Turns out the deal she offered was bogus, and it was set in motion by her boss. You know, the boss made up a deal because he thought it would be a uh, a risk worth taking. And but you know, they they get sidelined by the director of the the prison. That that would be um, Doctor Frederick Chilton. He's playing side games because he wants the glory of figuring out Hannah Elector when really he's just a jailer. He wants to be so much more than a warden, but he's not. So, <laughs> so uh, he basically messes up the plan. And because of all that, he ends up in another facility where he talks directly to the Senator, whose daughter is kidnapped by Buffalo bill. And, Gives them bonus information because, you know, because he can and because he he knows that they're that he's been had. Like he understands that even if he gives up the information that they want, he's not going to get better treatment. So why not feed him a bunch of lies? And then later on, we see him in his cell, his new cell, basically planning his escape the entire time. So that's where the most violence in this film take place, and that's when he overcomes the guards, you know, he beats them with their with their own he escapes his handcuffs. He beats them with their own billy clubs. Uh he eventually cuts the face off one of the the other guards. There are only two guards there. And when um the police officers come to try to take him into custody, they go into the room where his cell is. What they see instead of Hannibal Lecter inside of a cell, they see one of his jailers, strung up almost like an angel-like figure it is like he he's even kind of lit like an angel, except he's all bloodied. He's been disemboweled. He's there for some reason. There's some like American flag-style fence draping that's sort of decorating the ceiling. So apparently, Doctor Lecter had taken this. Draping and decorated, the man he just killed, it so that they kind of look like wings. So he's it looks like his wings, and because he's near the top of the cell, he's tied to the top of the cell. So it looks like uh, an angel with American flag wings, kind of floating above the floor. And uh, I believe I said that he was disemboweled and bloody, and it, it that. That was fascinating. We don't actually see all of this take place. We just see the results mm-hmm. of this. The only thing we really see is Hannibal Lecting beating one man and starting to bite another. But because the scene is shot from behind, you don't actually see him like sink his teeth into the victim's skin. We just kind of see him uh, start to bite the other guy. So then he uh, and 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 he escapes. Is the whole scene is thrilling? You know he what what do you what do you call it he's uh he does a lot of misdirection to have the police looking one way when really he's using the police to get out of the facility and that that's one of the best scenes in the movie it's the most violent scene in the movie where where you see the most blood in the movie which brings me to try to understand why this is often referred to as a horror movie people like to say that it's the best horror movie that's ever made in all of this type of stuff but i don't really see it as a horror movie and some people even describe it as a slasher you don't see a lot of actual slashing you see a lot of beating you see some brutal beatings you see evidence of slaughter you see evidence of slashing but you don't see the actual slashing. And in my mind, if you're going to call a film a slash it, a slasher flick, then you need to see some actual slashing, not the results of slashing, not, not the aftermath of the violence. You need to see the violence itself. And along with that, there aren't any real jump scares. It's, it's, the movie is not trying to scare you. To me, this movie is more like a suspense thriller. That's what this movie is to me, so I think that would be the best classification for this movie. So moving on, um, I like the whole like resolution that the Buffalo Bill scenes were great, but they weren't like really the main focus of of this story. I don't think. So he is a uh, really, he's a really messed up character, and one of the things that one of everybody's favorite scene is the, the lotion scene. So he has his captive. He has a pit where he keeps his captive, where uh, it's too deep for her to climb out. Most of his victims, pretty much all of his victims are plus size women because of a particular need that he has of them. So there's a scene where he is, he he has have, have this uh his victim rub lotion on herself and after he's after she's done he has lowered a basket into the pit and he is asking her to put the lotion in the basket and this is probably one of the most uh mean things that i've uh seen and heard in modern media so what i didn't realize because it's been mean so much is that what he actually says to her is it puts the lotion in the basket it places the lotion in the basket put the fucking lotion in the basket so <laughs> I think that's funny because uh he is referring to her as it because she he doesn't want to recognize her humanity you can actually see in that scene where because she is pleading with him the entire time. But you can see that he is almost sort of breaking down, right? So, But he doesn't want to recognize her humanity. So that's why he refers to her as it. He sees her as material for resource because his whole thing is that he wants to... He literally wants to cut her skin off and use it as a suit. And that that's why he has this entire series of murders. He's using the women that he murders as raw materials so that he can wear them as a suit. So pretty depraved, pretty depraved human beings. He's got some issues and complications. I don't know if it was made clear whether or not Hannibal Lecter actually attempted to treat this dude. I think he alludes to it But I don't know if he outright confirms it. But we do get the idea that this guy has some issues and complications that desperately needs to be worked out by professionals. So at the end of the movie, we have uh, Agent Sterling. She has figured out Hannibal Lecter's riddles and has been able to determine the general location of where Buffalo Bill is. She does some door knocking she Well, in one analysis, I've heard that she goes and canvasses the neighborhood, but in the movie, it really only shows her knocking on one door, and it happens to be the correct door, and so she greets him, making it seem as though she just needs some information, and trying not to look like she suspects him of committing murder she does not do a very good or convincing job of that and Buffalo Bill and her they get into a kind of cat and mouse game so so like he grabs a gun he disappears into his house apparently this is an, an expansive house with a underground you know that has an underground labyrinth where he does his work and he keeps his victims there is a point where Agent Sterling actually finds the victim and tries to ooh, excuse me and tries to keep her calm down so at, and at the same time try to find buffalo bill uh that's uh, that whose real name is James Gum played by Ted Levine but uh she's having a she's having a hard time doing both things like she she can't really calm this woman down and convince her that everything is going to be all right and at the same time she can't really find buffalo bill and then there is a part where all the lights go out. Like Jame Gum shut off all the power in this house. It is total darkness. Because they're underground, there's no there's no like cascading light for the sun. He's pretty much been able to seal off this section of the house so that there is no light. But one of the tools that Jame Gum uses are night vision goggles. So he can see perfectly well. And then there's this startling uh, view because they show the scene from from his point of view looking through the goggles of Agent Sterling like feeling around in the total darkness trying to find this man with her gun pointed out. And he's just calmly looking at her and at times coming close to touching her face but not actually touching her. It's all fascinating. So he decides that he decides... That he's not gonna play around anymore. He's just gonna shoot her, and he cocks his his revolver. He cocks the hammer of his revolver, and it's that sound that triggers Agent Sterling, and she whips around and she shoots him several times, and that's basically the the end of Buffalo Bill. Now, I don't. I guess I can see him toying around with his victims like that. But it, it wasn't the logical thing to do. The logical thing to do would be to take her out immediately. But we have to remember, we are not dealing with a sane person at this point. We're dealing with somebody who doesn't even recognize women as, as being human. So I guess he felt like he had the upper hand. He can do whatever he wanted to, but he underestimated the reflexes of this FBI agent in training and and so met his demise. So we have the rescue and the graduation of Agent Sterling from a student to an actual full agent in the FBI and then she gets one final call from Hannibal Lecter who is still on the loose calling from an undisclosed location and planning to have a dinner with a nice friend, or actually his exact words were he's going to have a friend for dinner. And Hannibal Lecter does not keep trophies from his victim. He eats them. Hence the name Hannibal the Cannibal. And the nice friend to which he is referring is Dr. Frederick Chilton. Uh, uh, I guess he doesn't really care for that guy too much. And, and so the movie ends with him kind of blending in with the crowd following Dr. Chilton on, I guess, a tropical island where Chilton is either on vacation or going to a conference. Uh, I don't know if that matters. The only thing that truly matters is that this will be the last place he ever walks. So, yeah, this, this was a great movie. It was great at the time. It's one of those things that I remember everybody loving this movie and people love it to this day, continuously referencing it, keeping it in the communal memory as one of the greatest films of all time. So let us transfer to the trivia section. So the trivia is provided by IMDb. So let us start where most of it is from IMDb. I think I got one tidbit. From um, Wikipedia. So let's start off with A. One, Jody Foster claims that during the first meeting between Dr. Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Sterling, Sir Anthony Hopkins mocking her Southern accent was improvised on the spot. Foster's horrific reaction was genuine since she felt personally attacked. She later thanked Hopkins for generating such an honest reaction. In preparation for his role, Sir Anthony Hopkins studies, studied files of serial killers. Also, he visited prisons and studied convicted murders and was present during some of the court hearings concerning gruesome murders and serial killings. When characters are talking to Sterling, that's Jodie Foster, They often talk directly to the camera. When she is talking to them, she is always looking slightly off camera. Director Jonathan Dean has explained that this was done so that the audience would directly experience her point of view, but not theirs, hence encouraging the audience to be more readily identified with her. After Lecter was moved from Baltimore, the plan was to dress him in a yellow or orange jumpsuit. Sir Anthony Hopkins convinced the director, Jonathan Dame, that costume designer, or and costume designer Colleen Atwood, that the character would seem more clinical and unsettling if he were dressed in pure white. Hopkins has since said that he got the idea from his fear of dentists. With 20 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time, Sir Anthony Hopkins performed in this movie is the second, or Anthony Hopkins performance in this movie is the second shortest to ever win an academy award for best actor in a leading role with David Niven in Separate Tables from 1958 beating him at 23 minutes and 39 seconds one of the inspirations from whom sir anthony hopkins borrowed for his interpretation of dr hannibal lecter was a friend of his uh, uh was a friend of his in london who rarely blinked while speaking, which unnerved everyone around him. When speaking, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying this all wrong. When Jonathan Dean filmed the scene where Lecter and Sterling first meet, Sir Anthony Hopkins said he, sh- he should look directly at the camera as it panned into his line of sight. He felt Lecter should be portrayed as knowing everything. During location scouting for the house in which the serial killer James Gum was living, Ted Levine, who is who played James Gum, was amazed to discover that the house belonged. The house being considered was not only in the town where he grew up, but was literally next door to the house of his high school girlfriend. The Silence of the Lambs was inspired by real life relationships between. University of Washington criminology professor and profiler Bob Capel and serial killer Ted Bundy. Bundy helped Capel investigate the Green River serial killings in Washington. Bundy was executed January 4th, 1989. The Green River killings were finally solved in 2001 when Gary Ridgway was arrested. On November 5th, 2003 in Seattle courtroom, Ridgway pled guilty to 48 counts of aggravated first-degree murder. In the supplemental section on the special edition DVD of Silence of the Lamb, Glenn Scott revealed that he was given an audio tape by FBI agent John Douglas as a form of research for his character. The tapes was an audio recording of serial killers Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris had made of themselves raping and torturing a 16-year-old girl as they drove around Los Angeles. Upon questioning Douglas as to his motives for presenting these tapes, Douglas simply said to Glenn, Now you are part of my world. This experience played upon Glenn's mind all throughout filming, and he refused to return to the role in Hannibal because he didn't want to place himself in such a mindset again. To this day... He says the tapes still cause him anxiety and bad dreams. When Sir Anthony Hopkins found out he was cast as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, based on his performance as Dr. Frederick Travis in The Elephant Man, 1980, he questioned director Jonathan Dean and said, but Travis is a good man, to which Dean replied, so is Lecter, he's a good man too, just trapped in an insane mind. James Gum's dance was not included in the original draft of the screenplay, although it appears in the novel. It was added at the insistence of Ted Levine, who thought the scene was essentially was essential to divining the character. Sir Anthony Hopkins viewed the film as a last-ditch effort to really break out in Hollywood. Although he had acted in movies and in television since the 1960s, he had not reached A-list status, nor had he attained the prestige for which he had been hoping with his screen acting career. He went on to say that if the film hadn't garnered the career boost he was seeking, he would have quit his acting career in Hollywood and focused all of his effort instead on the British stage. Ultimately, the film was a major critical and commercial success, instantly making him a household name. His performance in the film earned him the, his first Academy Award nominated for Best Actor, Which he won immediately, launching him to A status or A list status in Hollywood. As of 2021, Hopkins has received five more Academy Award nominations and won another one for The Father that came out in 2020. When Clarice visits Dr. Hannibal Lecter in his new facility, Lecter insists that she continue telling him about her childhood as part of the agreement. Clarence reluctantly I'm sorry, Clarice reluctantly continues her story about running away. Midway through her confession, she mentions taking a lamb with her. If one listens closely after she says, I thought if I could just say one, a distant sound of something being dropped can be heard in the background. A crewman dropped a wrench during filming. Jonathan Dean panicked, thinking it would ruin the scene completely. However... Jodie Foster remained in character and continued the story, ultimately convincing Dean to keep the footage. After cut was said, Foster turned her head to the crew and yelled, What the hell was that? Jack Crawford was based on real-life FBI Special Agent Doug- John Douglas, as early, an early member of the FBI's Behavioral Sciences Unit, who coached Scott Glenn on his portrayal of a member of the BSU, Douglas, still an active FBI special agent during production, was in the midst of tracking Gary Widgway, the Green River killer who was believed to have killed more than 90 women in Washington between 1982 and 1980, 1998. Although this movie got rave reviews when it came out, Chicago Tribune film critic Gene Sisko, who was notoriously hostile to horror movies, slammed the movie and gave it only two stars, he said in his review, director Jonathan Dean superheats The Silence of the lamb to a point of silliness in terms of both gross behavior and a pulsating soundtrack. The conclusion of the film is nothing more than a grisly version of every mad slasher picture you've ever missed. Jody's in trouble. Shoot, Jody, shoot. The movie, of course, went on to become a phenomenon, a huge box office hit, and the only horror movie to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture. It is now considered one of the best horror movies ever made and still has a huge cult following and fan base. Roger Ebert, Sisko's fellow film critic and sparring partner on At The Movies, loved the movie and would continue to ridicule Sisko for missing the boat on this movie for years after this. All right, so this Provides an excellent transition to where we find out what the critics think. So, looking at the IMDb scores, the critics gave it a 96%. The audience gave it a 95%. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not IMDb, that's Rotten Tomatoes. So, 96, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, it got it 8.6 out of 10. Those are incredibly positive reviews. So let's see what some of the critics think. There were very few negative reviews posted by critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but I found a couple, and I usually post about four. So let's find out what they thought. David Kerr from the Chicago Tribune wrote, It's a gnarled, brutal, highly manipulative film that is at its center, seems morally indefensible. You know, we are talking about movies about Serial. This movie is about serial killers, like two of them, right? So they're not going to be right in the head. They, they are going to kill people in the worst way possible. These You realize that these monsters live in the real world, right? David Kerr. So on to Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader. He wrote, An accomplished, effective, grisly, and exceptionally sick slasher film that I can't with any conscience recommend. And see, this is what I, this is what I mean by, they don't actually show anybody being slashed. They show a knife. They show the results of what it looks like after being slashed with a knife, but there's no actual slashing. The most violent they do in the film is they show Hannibal Lecter beating a police officer with his baton, but that's it, really. They don't really show um, any actual slashing, so... Jeez, Jonathan, what's up with you? All right, going on to Rob flip Flipside Movie Emporium. He wrote, terrifying and inescapable, a perfect mediation on the nature of fear and courage, featuring two of the greatest performances ever put on film. And Rob, I believe you are right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Finally, we have Kevin and Frog. Inlipfra- Oh, shoot, I almost messed up his name. Kevin N. LaForest of Montreal Film Journal. He wrote, Director Jonathan Dean keeps the film intense and haunting and Jodie Foster compelling to watch. Uh, Yeah, I believe that is correct. And as you've noticed, I've been pronouncing director's name Jonathan Dean it's spelled D-E-M-M-E. I am not certain if that is the correct pronunciation, but that is what I'm going to say. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. So finally, The Silence of the Lamb is, as of this recording, available on Amazon Video for Prime subscribers. Next week, we'll be talking about a movie that I loved in particular, we're going to go, we're going to switch this all around. We're going to go 180. We're going to go to a completely different type of movie. And we are going to talk about Judge Dredd, not the Dredd that came out like five or six years ago. We're talking about this movie that came out in the 1990s, Judge Dredd starring Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd. Now, a lot of Judge Dredd purists did not like this movie, but because I did not, know the character I was not familiar with the character's based on a comic book i I enjoyed the film I, I know that there are certain tropes that are demanded by the fans of this character and this movie does not stick to those tropes, but on its own it i I really enjoyed it. So one last time, if you like this show, please help us grow. You can do this but you can you can rate us you, you can write a review on Spotify podchaser.com or Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app if they happen to have a way you can write a review or you can pay some stars, you can do a like, a thumbs up, help a brother out and you can also share this show with someone don't forget that you can contact us at fanmail at backlickcinema.com believe me, it matters, be safe share a movie with your family hug your loved ones and be outstanding